Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Carrie Ann Gulliver, is known as America's franchise matchmaker. Now, Carrie Ann's passion began from helping grow her local family handyman business to the top rated national franchise in the industry. The company became so successful that in 2019, it was acquired by the largest retailer owned hardware group in the world, Ace Hardware Corporation. Still, Like millions of Americans, she worked for years in a business that wasn't all hers. She longed to build something that she could call her own. And eventually she found the courage to take the leap herself. With thousands of franchise concepts out there today, Carrie Ann knows firsthand how overwhelming and confusing it can be to go it alone. With the assistance of Carrie Ann and the franchise logic, As your franchise guide, she's mastered a process that not only helps people find their perfect franchise match, but allows for abundant possibilities. Today, Carrie Ann joins me to talk business, to talk entrepreneurship, and to talk franchises and the possibilities therein. Carrie Ann Golliver, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So, Carrie Ann, you are what's known, uh, your tagline is uh, America's Franchise Matchmaker. We're going to talk a lot about that today, I'm sure. But, you know, in the short snippet for the uh, listeners of the show, Carrie Ann Gulliver, what do you do? What are you all about? You know, I'm a Colorado native, so love the mountains. Born and raised in Colorado. 
Um, I think it's my little piece of paradise. I cannot imagine living anywhere else ever. Unfortunately, right now we have a bunch of forest fires going on. So it's not so great to be outdoors, which is why people love Colorado. We love to hike. We love to mountain bike. I love to hunt with my husband. Um, So I'm just, I'm just, I have the mountains calling me all the time. That's great. You know, something, um, you know, a story that listeners probably don't know about me is in, in my retail businesses in, uh, in Alberta, in Edmonton. Years ago, I uh, partnered with some friends and still to this day friends in my retail business, which was in the hockey and figure skating and ice hockey, uh, ice skating. Cool. Yeah. And so, uh, I'm very familiar with Colorado, love Colorado. Uh, we, uh, we spent a lot of time in Boulder, and um, we had stores set up in Lafayette, and we we did a number of things out there and uh, to set up stores. And so, I know what you say when you uh, when you talk about you know that that culture of you know Colorado. And uh, my wife uh, Stephanie, who uh, did a lot of work with skaters back then, we spent a ton of time in Aspen, Colorado, which of course is fantastic. And we actually did that generally in the fall. So, yes. so we, although we weren't skiing, we were hiking, uh, hiking the ski hills and, uh, it was spectacular and there's no doubt about it. Colorado is hug a tree country. And, uh, and I loved it, loved it. So, so cool. So that's awesome. Now yeah. tell me a little bit about, um, as America's franchise matchmaker, what does that mean? What is your business? What is it that you do carry on? Yeah, Patrick, it's kind of interesting because sometimes people just kind of hone in on the matchmaking and they come to me uh, expecting me to find their spouse. (laughs) And I'm like, well, that's not probably going to happen, right? So, you know, really what I love to do is help people see all kinds of different alternatives. That's really my passion. Um, You know, I have always been someone who goes against the grain, meaning, you know, I just didn't follow the traditional steps that most people make. Um, I went to college and I absolutely hated it. And I was I I literally felt like I was smarter than all my professors and I felt like I was wasting my time. And so I didn't stay very long into college. And I, then I took some other, you know, outside courses. um, And I just never found my groove in the educational arena and um, just really kind of found my way through trial and error of doing different things. You mentioned hockey. I actually worked for a, startup company in Centennial that did all the broadband streaming for the hockey games. Wow. And uh, the company, I don't even know if it's it's still in business. It was called Streaming Media. And um, I absolutely loved it. It My client was the NHL. And I actually got to go to the All-Star game when the Colorado Avalanche made it. And it was just so fascinating. And so I learned how to code and do all this technical stuff, real geeky stuff. And uh, But unfortunately, with every startup, there's always some Yahoo that ruins something for everybody. And (laughs) the business got shut down. And lots of... um, I don't think they ever restarted. And so it was very disappointing. I also worked for a drug testing company back in the day, which was also another really strange thing. I mean, if someone would have said, you know, in your career, you're going to be working for 
a national medical review office, I would have said, I don't even think I'd be interested in that, right? So actually ended up um, running an international department and hiring physicians and lab techs overseas to go on board the ships when they came to port to do the drug and alcohol testing on the semen and pulmonary tests and, and sort of different things like that. And that was also very, very fascinating. I actually got to go to Hong Kong and Singapore in my early 20s. Um, and it was just really an amazing experience and journey. But I just kept kind of stumbling through life because I just didn't really know where my home was. And after getting, you know, uh, lots of opportunities and really interesting things, but they're never really panning out because they seem to be all kind of in these startup arenas. I actually, you know, had dinner with some friends and family and uh, we were sitting around talking about what we wanted to do when we grew up, right? I'm sure like lots of people have that uh, conversation, especially now. And uh, long story short, we ended up starting a business literally from scratch in uh, my sister's house and grew it to a multi-million dollar business and then ended up franchising it. Oh, that's the cliff notes, right? Uh, but that's how I got into franchising. And what I learned through that journey is, oh my gosh, there are so many people out there that are also kind of stumbling around that don't really fit the corporate world, uh, that just have this void that they want to fill. They crave having something that's theirs. Uh, but they, unfortunately, often too many times rely on Google or their friends or their family members to tell them what business to buy, which is never a good idea. <laughs> and then uh, they have a disaster, right? So really why I do what I do today is I work with the willing and I work with people who are also passionate about looking at all kinds of different alternatives out there outside of traditional employment. And I think franchising is amazing because you're going into business for yourself, but not by yourself. You're going to have a whole bunch of people rooting for you on the sidelines and you know helping make sure you get trained and and have a blueprint that's proven that you can execute. And so I really saw a calling of really helping match people, take them through a self-discovery session, really, to say, okay, what have you done in your past career? What did you like? What did you do not like? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What does an ideal business opportunity look like for you? And that has all kinds of different levels, right, Patrick? I mean, some people don't want a large staff. Other people love and gain personal satisfaction by helping other people be successful. Um, how do they feel about the spend tolerance? Um, what kind of return do they want for those spend dollars? What kind of role do they want to play in the business? And also, what is their exit strategy? Which a lot of people do not take into consideration you know, uh, before we even get you into this business, how are we going to get you out? Like, do you want to create a legacy? Oh, you know something, you know, uh, I mean, there's so many points of uh, entry into the, this conversation, Carrie Ann, but, you know, you talk about exit strategy and I, and I want to, I want to come back and talk about a lot of things that you've just brought up in this particular uh, part of the conversation, but exit strategy, everybody should, you know, really make a note of exit strategy because after being in business, you know, over 35 years myself and owning multiple businesses in the in that time and still to this day, exit strategy is a challenge. And you actually have to really consider 
you know, how it is you're going to exit that, that particular business. Now, there's an advantage often on the franchise side of it, depending on what the franchise is. There can be advantages and disadvantages, and I want to really dig into that. So uh, sorry to interrupt, but, you know, even in, in my world right now, we're, we're an education business, a research business, a solutions provider, real estate for real estate investors. One of the challenges that we face is that we teach people that, Real estate investing or investing in real estate, we want you to treat it like a business. And we have to work backwards from an exit strategy always, and even having multiple exit strategies. So when we get into the franchise conversation, that conversation about being an entrepreneur, uh, so important. So I'm going to really pick your brain about that context or that concept of buying franchise, being an entrepreneur uh, and exiting. So what the, what the big picture is in the long term and, and the role you play in all of that. Um, so sorry to interrupt. I don't know why I did yeah. that, but anyways, I, I no. wanted to just put a bookmark there. We're going to come back to that. So carry on and tell me a little bit more about what, what you do in, in the, in the context of setting up, you know, entrepreneurs and, and, and matching them, you know, matchmaking them to a franchise. Yeah, and I really like to refer to it as entrepreneur light, right? Because again, lots of the people that I work with have never been uh, a business owners in their lives. They've they've dreamt about it for a long time. It's been brewing in their brain, but they haven't really ever taken the leap. And so um, it's all about really understanding who the person is and really focusing on them. Because often people come to me and say, oh, I love pizza. Help me buy a pizzeria. Or I love coffee. You know, I want to buy a coffee shop. No, right? Because those are your passions. Leave your passions and your hobbies on the sidelines. This is, a, this is an investment vehicle, right? Just like stocks and bonds, just like real estate. But this investment is a little bit ri- less risky because you're going to have greater control of the outcome. And in some cases, a very nice ROI, much, much, much higher ROI than you get in the stock market. I can tell you that, right? So um, it's an investment vehicle that's going to get you from here to there. And so we need to really know, you know, why does someone need a business? Because if they don't need a business and they don't have a lot of pain, it's not going to really go anywhere, right? So we need to figure out why do they need a business? And then we need to really focus on their skill sets, what they're going to bring to the table. That is a big part of the matchmaking because every franchisor has in their mind the ideal candidate that has the right skill sets that are needed to really get a home run with their business. And they also know the financial picture, how much people need to be able to afford to go into business with them. And so we focus on, you know, how, you know, management skill sets, obviously. Um, We focus on um, customer preference, whether it's B2B or B2C. You know, when you look at franchising, there's three main categories in franchising. We have simple retail. These are obviously franchises that you're going to find in town centers, strip malls, you know, they're going to be anywhere from like 800 to 4,000 square feet of space. And their primary marketing is to you and I, the general public, right? They rely heavily on foot traffic. And they're going to be surrounded by five to nine other retail-based businesses. Um, so those businesses, that's where you're going to find food and beverage, mm-hmm. hair cutting salons, massage, 
you know, all those, right? So, but then we've got sophisticated retail. Sophisticated retail, a perfect example would be an auto body repair shop, right? Because if you think about it, an auto body repair shop is basically a production line. It's got to have a certain number of bays to take the cars through whatever they're working on. So they got to have much more than 4,000 square feet. You know, they're probably like 8,000 square feet or something like that. Those sophisticated retail-based businesses are both B2B and B2C, right? Because an auto body repair shop can work on your car, they can work on my car, and they can also paint the fleet of FedEx trucks, right? So B2B and B2C. And then we have the um, non-facility-based businesses. So there's three main buckets of franchises. The non-facility-based businesses are the ones that provide a product or service to the consumer in a place of convenience, right? So it could be handyman service. It could be lawn care service. They don't have... They're not relying on foot traffic for people to come in to make a sale. So... Within those three buckets, Patrick, there's all kinds of different nuances, right? So if you're going to go into any brick and mortar franchise, location, 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 you know that as a real estate guru. It doesn't matter if you're in a crappy location, it doesn't matter how great your business is because you're just, you know, no one's going to go there. So um, if the parking is crappy or whatever, but the, the thing is, is if someone is, let's say coming out of corporate America and their timeline is they want their franchise to be open within the next 90 days, that is never going to happen with brick and mortar, right? So when you look at um, the whole concept of franchise, you know, first off, let's talk a little bit about the opportunities in franchise and are you thinking or seeing uh, opportunities or the, I guess that we'll call it the desire, given what's happening economically, the unemployment spiking and in the world of COVID and all that's going on. And do you think you're going to see a demand increase for that desire? I mean, if people aren't getting jobs, they got to make money somehow, you know, and, and the other side of that is there's two parts to it is, you know, how do people afford to get into a franchise, number one, especially given what's going on? And secondly, uh, do, you, do you see that as an opportunity for those individuals who have maybe had longstanding careers, are probably doing great at something, but have some skills, you know, and say, well, how else am I going to feed my family, pay my mortgage? Do you see that opportunity starting to unfold uh, more uh, for people that are in that in these circumstances right now? What's your kind of view of the world right now, Karen? Yeah, I can honestly tell you it is, I've never been busier. Yeah, uh, Summer is normally lower activity because people are going on family vacations. People are uh, busy with weddings, that sort of stuff. Obviously, life is still going on. People are still going on vacation and people are still getting married. But this summer has been, in eight years, my most busiest summer. Yes, um, you know, the the pandemic has, has negatively... I think what it has done, actually, is it's, it's forced people to take a pause and say, what do I really want my life to look at? Look like, rather you know, what, what do I really want out of life, you know? And the people that have been negatively affected, 
by the, the you know furloughs and and layoffs and companies just folding um, are flocking to the idea of being able to take control and be their own boss. And they, they're saying now is the time to do it. So tell me a little bit, Carrie-Anne, in terms of an onboarding process, because not everybody's wired to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody's wired to take on their own business. And, and, is, and I think a franchise creates a very special opportunity because there is so much of that is turnkey. And, but you still have to apply some business skills. You have to have some business savvy and you have to be able to understand operations and risk. And, and there's some talent that's involved, even though a lot of the heavy lifting can be done in a franchise situation. But give me an idea of your onboarding process. And just for listeners, what should they be asking themselves if a franchise is for them? You know, like even some self-evaluation of, of uh, you know, an entrepreneur or a franchise opportunity. So I know that's a big question, but let's let's, let's kind of work through that process. Yeah, I mean, I think that what they need to do is take an inventory of their skill sets and really know what they are good at, what they excel at, and what they enjoy doing. Every business is going to involve sales and marketing, right? Sales and marketing is the heartbeat of every organization. And so you don't want to pick a solution where if you are horrible at sales or don't want to do sales or cannot do sales, that that is the main role that you play in the business because that'll be a recipe for failure, right? So it's it's about taking that inventory of what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, because that's how we can match people up to franchises that can fill in the gaps to where they are weak, but also take huge advantage of their skill sets that they do really great at. You know, people coming from a corporate think, oh, I'm an expert at this, so I need a franchise that does that. No, when you're a business owner, you're elevating yourself from the expert or the employee to the big G's. You're going to be the boss. So if you think about it, fundamentally, every business pretty much operates the same way, right? So think about what are your skill sets? What are the things you like to do? What do you really like and enjoy and do well at? Can you afford to go into a franchise? What is your nut you got to cover every month to make sure you have a roof over your head, you have food on the table. If you have dependents and you have a non-working spouse and you just got your job cut from you, there's still solutions. I have funding professionals that specialize in franchise funding and help people fulfill the American dream of being a franchise owner every day. And I can, I am not a funding expert, nor do I want to be a funding expert. I'm a matchmaking franchise expert, but funny how money comes into the picture when we're talking about possibly investing in a franchise. And the big myth is you have to be rich to own a franchise. No, absolutely not. So, you know, I, I connect people to my funding professionals so they can gain free education to understand hey, did you know that you can borrow some of your retirement dollars to yourself tax-free and penalty-free to buy a business that Mm. you own? People don't know that. Did you know you could do a stock portfolio loan and gain the interest on that loan because it's your stock? SBA loans, you know, pre-COVID were great solutions. Right now, everything, it's all backlogged, right? Because of the pandemic. 
So that's like the worst case scenario. But really understanding your financials, you know, if you were making $250,000 last year, you're not going to be able to buy a business today to replace that income tomorrow. You have to be anchored by reality. You have to understand that a franchise is no different than any other business. It's going to take time to build and grow. But I focus on low investment, rapid break-even, and very high-margin franchises because who doesn't want that? (laughs) I mean, that's what everyone wants when they're looking at a business, right? So with franchising, it's speed to market. It's like you said, all the heavy lifting has already been done. The ops, the training, the technology, the marketing, you're buying a business in a box. So then can you see yourself able, can you visualize yourself being able to execute what needs to be done to be successful in that business, right? Yeah, well, there's a, you know, there's a, a fundamental distinction that I try and make and that I've learned over many years. And as you're very aware of is there's the business owner, what we would call a business owner, which is really, you know, will the business operate without you and will the business continue to grow without you? And that's a tough lesson for most entrepreneurs to get because they get into it and they're loving what they're doing. But, you know, 10 years in, 15 years in, they're going, I'm tired. My body's beat. I can't continue to work 10 and 12 hours a day. And if you're not actually equipped to make sure you're surrounding yourself with, you know, people that are far smarter than you are and that can actually carry that load. So you've actually got to take an existing business and turn it into the concept of a franchise. You know, that's the, you know, if you're working backwards, you know, building your own business, that's, that's a context. Okay. A concept. Now, there's also franchises, however, that really what you're doing is you're buying yourself a job. And I often think about that when you see the food courts or the massage. Well, maybe not the massage so much, but a little bit of that too, depending on what you're doing. But you're, you're buying yourself a job, which is maybe okay, by the way, you, if you're going into it knowing that's what you're doing and your aspiration is that, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm fine. I'll pay myself by the hour. I'll work by the hour and, and I'll make that much money and, and I won't worry about it thereafter. There's those opportunities. But in the real world of franchise, what the ultimate goal is, is to take that existing franchise and maybe even buy a second, third, fourth operation, if you will. Maybe that's one option. But the point is is that you actually own the business. It's not about being the operator where you bought yourself a job. Yeah, we talk to people all day long about work on your business, not in your business. But to that point, Patrick, I think it's important to explain to people Some people want to be the expert. Some people want to be the artesian. They don't want to deal with managing staff. And there is a role for that in a franchise. There are franchises, like you said, like the kiosks and, you know, the slushies and the hot dog stands and those sorts of things. Some people really thrive in that. They own a food truck and they're happy and they don't have to deal with anybody and all the drama. For most people... They want to build an asset that is going to reward them at the end of the day. That's going to serve them instead of them serving somebody else. Because my opinion is, you know, I'm not a corporate hater, but it just didn't work out for me. It just wasn't my world. And so I tell people every day you go to work for your boss, you are renting your time and talent to build wealth for a company, right? So why not do that for yourself? So if you're not the expert in that role with a franchise, which there are plenty of those out there. So I don't want people to think that that's wrong or 
or that that's not good. There are great options there, but you can also be an executive owner where you're either the operating president, where you're building that winning culture of people beneath you so that when you go on vacation with your family, you come back and you have something to come back to and you're building an asset, you're creating important tax shelters for yourself and you have that built-in exit strategy, right? So you can sell it as a multiple down the road, you can pass it on to children, whatever your goal is in that next however many years you see on that horizon left for you. Or or you can come as a franchise owner and choose to be the CEO from day one. Mm -hmm. So the CEO is focusing on leading, managing the marketing, executing the marketing and growth right? And, and obviously focusing on the KPIs, right? For that growth. So they're going to hire a general manager from day one, who's going to run the day-to-day operations and any other staff needed is going to directly roll up and report to that GM. And, they're, and then the GM reports to them. What does that do for them? That gives them a lot of freedom and flexibility to keep a nine to five if they choose to, while building a plan B on the side, which mitigates your risk, right? Keep your paycheck and build a business on the side. That's awesome, right? Or, you know, they can, like you said, scale more aggressively, quicker, and build a larger business, build more wealth with lower capital by scaling unit economics, as opposed to just being a single licensed owner. Uh, Regardless, it's going to give you lots of freedom and flexibility to do other things that are important to you, but not at the expense of, of making great revenue. I'm always fascinated by these conversations, you know, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, you know, I've, I've actually been very involved in, and know many franchise owners. I myself have been really building from a, from a, you know, bootstrap budget, build my own business and go, you know, something, if I reflect on it, you know, I learned a lot and, and I love my life and, and I've really uh, had some great, great wins in business, but it's been a real, it's been a, it's always been, you know, what I'd consider hard work, but, but and fundamentally I'm blessed to have gotten to a place over the past number of years where it doesn't feel like work is because I love what I do. And that's probably the biggest lesson that I've ever learned is that I can work my ass. I'm on the right now with the real estate investment network and what I've got going on in my life and my business with my wife and I. We joke we're on the Freedom 95 plan because we don't ever intend to retire in a context of retirement. And I don't know that I'll ever not do what I do as long as the business is working and I can do what I yeah, do. You have your mental ability to do it. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. but there's a, you know, the cool thing about the franchise is that it is, you know, you go from, you know, zero to 60 pretty quickly. If you're really clear on what it is that you want to do, because as you said, there are those individuals that are are just happy. They're hands-on. They want to be, you know, forward-facing, client-facing. They 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 love it. They love the interaction. They love the service. And they're not, they're they're fine if they're gonna work that eight or ten hours a day. And if they don't work, they don't get paid. They're just okay with that. I mean, it really is the context of buy yourself a job. And and but there is some benefits to that as well. There really is. And we can look as entrepreneurs, we can look at the downside of that. But, you know, the other side of it is, is they may have had a bad experience, I don't know, in a corporate world where they were working corporately and going, you know, I got tired of the backstabbing. I got tired of, you know, having to be there nine to five and having somebody, you know, 
bitch at me or tell me I'm not doing a good job or whatever it is. I get to live in this environment, which is far better. So there's a strong argument for those individuals that do that, but it's a big jump from that to being a CEO, having a general manager that runs your business. And that's why there's so many uh, business coaching programs out there because it is really an extreme jump. So there's in the, in the franchise world, Karen is let's use a, I don't know. I, I I'm not familiar with some franchise models, you know, really, but I, let, let's look at a, let's say a Tim Hortons or in Canada, of course, but, or a McDonald's even. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, you're going in for big money and, and um, yeah. yeah, I mean, those are big, that, that's, those are, that's big Fair money. Cost. Right. Yeah. And, and so what use, I'll, I'll use that as an extreme example, but you know, if you're going into a franchise, a McDonald's franchise, you don't see the owner of that business work in the front line generally, maybe in a small town. I don't know. What's, what's your experience in that side of it? Yeah, they're not there. Yeah. They're not there, right? They, and they probably own 50 of them, right? Um, so a perfect example, and, you know, I, I understand like the leap, you know, if they have never managed people they should not buy, they should not play the CEO role clearly, yes. right? I mean, because no one's going to work for a jerk. And, you know, if the manager is not there working the day to day, you're going to have to be somebody. I mean, these are real businesses. So let's take a, just a very general example, uh, boutique fitness. It's an amazing category. It's not, so boutique fitness is not a gym. It's a small, intimate environment that has in many, many places, even during the pandemic, been deemed essential, needs-based. Because again, it's not, it's not the Planet Fitnesses of the world. It's not the Gold's Gyms. We're talking about like Orange Theory Fitness, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very intimate. It's very small class size. There's a culture. There's a bond that's built within that and. At the end of the day, it's all about the experience the person receives going to that facility and having that kind of interaction and workout. So as a boutique fitness owner, you, your role is really investor, CEO. Uh, you're not going to teach any fitness classes, okay? Your, your job is with the help of the franchisor, that has this blueprint, they're going to help you find, interview, identify, and hire, and help you manage your GM because they want you to buy three, five, or 10 of these and plant your flag in the ground and help them expand, right? So um, they're going to help you identify who that GM is. Obviously, it's your business. You're going to ultimately decide who you hire and who you fire, but they have this already created for you. Here's what a GM looks like. Here's what their responsibilities are. You're going to get trained for the business side by side with your GM because you can't manage what you don't know. But then when the business opens, yes, you can be there to shake hands, kiss babies, be the face of the business, cut the ribbing at your you know grand opening. But there's no reason for you to be there every day because these are very simple operations. People come in, they do their workout, and they leave. So you've got a GM, you've got, you know, a handful of part-time instructors and you have a business, right? And you don't have to have any fitness experience, but you have to lead and you have to manage and you have to execute the marketing. 
which by the way, is already, already figured out for you. So not all franchises are created equal. You know, we know that there's some, you know, there's lots of franchise businesses that have crashed and burned and, and left their franchise owners, you know, kind of high and dry. In the dust. Yeah. Yeah. And so is part of what you do in this is you're also screening those uh, franchises and saying, okay, this is the real deal. This has got a track record. Do you get into the startup franchise world? Like, do you, do you play in that space too much or, or is that risk too high? Or do you, are you really confident in your ability to kind of look at a franchise and go, Hey, these guys got something here, be, be a really great opportunity to get in on it and uh, to, to, to build it because you can get in a, a, a lower cost, of course, you know, generally. And, uh, but there's also a higher risk to it. So what's your, what's your kind of your view of the world and on that, Carrie Ann? Yeah. So I have a whole team um, that I work with that's under the umbrella of my, uh, my corporation. I'm independently owned and operated, but I work underneath an umbrella. And that team really, you know, is the door opening or closing of what brands I actually represent. Uh, because you know, we need to make sure, I mean, we're dealing with people's lives. We're dealing with, you know, a very large, in some cases, investment, which we need to circle back around to financing. And I know you will, but, um, you know, again, you're going to come to the table with a deposit, just like you do for a car or a house. And then you're going to cover the Delta with smart debt service, right? So, um, they really look at these franchises. Um, they look at, you know, closures. They look at openings. They, you know, I have called franchise companies, franchisees, and just validated with them. How's it going? How's business? Are you happy? Hey, um, would you ever recommend somebody else buy this franchise? Um, what are the challenges to this business? What kind of support do you get from your franchisor? You know, are you meeting or exceeding your goals? Because I want to know that these are solid businesses that I'm putting people in front of because I want us to be friends five years from now. And I want them to come back to me when they're ready for their second or their third business and refer me to people that want to be just like them and be business owners. So there's a lot that's involved and you're absolutely right. And being a franchisor in my past life for over a decade, you know, I can tell you, I have a pulse on the industry. There is some amazing opportunities out there and there is a lot of crap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so when you work with me, I really absolutely trade the tremendous amount of pride in the types of franchises that I put people in front of to evaluate. They're going to make all their decisions, but I'm going to put them with very high caliber businesses because that's just my reputation. And I really also think that um, it's really important for people to know that I meet with my franchise partners every six months. Uh, Pre-COVID, it was face-to-face -face every six months. Sit down, have a glass of wine, break some bread with them. Tell me how business is going. Has your ideal owner changed? Um, has your investment levels changed? What new challenges have came up in the business and how are you overcoming them? Um, so, you know, I know these businesses inside and out. I know the founders, what kind of support system they give. And I think that's, that's a huge benefit for people out there that, you know, 
there's thousands of different franchises out there. How do you know which one's good? How do you know which one's not good? I literally just had a call yesterday with, and we, we talked earlier about exit and knowing what your exit is. I literally was on a call, uh, coaching call yesterday. Uh, we have a program in rain called Elite 52 Coaching, which is small business and real estate and all the rest of it. But he shared with me that he had to exit a franchise. And I don't remember what it was. Otherwise, I'd throw him under the bus because I know exactly what happened. But I don't remember the name of it, so it doesn't matter in this case. The exit number should have been $400,000, which would have been fine. The circumstances that he found himself in uh, were a little strenuous to say the least. And and so he really needed to get out and they lowballed him and said, we'll give you 80 grand. Oh, and Ouch. you know, so it was, it was, you go, really, does that actually happen? And it does. And what he said, well, listen, you can't open the store for 80 grand. And they said, well, that's your option. Shut it down or, or get, you know, we'll give you 80 grand. And, and, uh, you know, being a little spiteful, he just said, okay, screw you. And he shut it down. You know, he walked away from it all rather than take the 80 uh-huh. grand, you know, but, but those are the kinds of, you know, those are the bad news stories that give franchises a, a can give them a, a, a bad rap and even terms of pursuing franchise because you, you know, you look at all the, the, the big names that you see, but to your point, there's thousands of franchise opportunities out there that are, are, and many of them are good and you have to sort through them and, and having somebody like yourself to support you in sorting through them is an important step to take, right? Because there is that onboarding. You don't live into some dream or some uh, story that this is going to be awesome without really doing all your diligence and behind the scenes. And that's also what I really focus on, not only the matchmaking, and I think the cultural fit is a big thing. I mean, yes, the numbers, you know, the dollars and cents are always going to matter, but it's also the lifestyle. It's also the exit strategy. It's also the cultural fit because it's meant to be a business marriage. And so I tell everyone I work with, look, we're going to go on some blind dates, you know, with some franchise companies, we're going to have some courtship and we may or may not get to the altar. But we don't want you to, you know, swipe left or right too early, right? Like we, we don't want you to fall in love too early. We don't want you to break up too early. You need to approach this with the attitude. You don't know what you don't know. And you're going to be a student. And I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm going to make sure you know how to be conducting proper due diligence. Because that's the biggest problem I feel is most people do not dig deep enough before they sign that franchise agreement and pay that franchise fee. So tell me a little bit about, you know, we, we go back to, you know, I mean, economically what's happening right now, I, I think, you know, we, you know, we were already talking about a gig economy, right. Where, you know, yeah. that's the kind of, the, you know, that, you know, find a gig, do your gig, get off, you know, all of those things that are happening and whether that's a, a long-term trend, you know, who knows? Well, I guess we'll see if that really does, you know, are we going to be talking about a gig economy in five years from now? I don't know. But when we look at what economically is happening right now, the pandemic continues and will continue into the future. We know it's going to be a challenge for many and they're going to have to look at ways to generate revenue for themselves, for their families and for their livelihood. And so being an entrepreneur is is really the answer. Now, we look at franchises and we talked earlier about financing. When I'm looking at a franchise, there's such a big range. So how do I determine where I enter the conversation around a franchise? You know, if I've got 
50 grand in my jeans and that's all I've got because I've recently lost my job. I've got 50 grand that I can afford to invest. Do I, do I waste my time having a conversation with you about a franchise or do I, do I have to have a, a 500,000, you know, in my bank account to deal with this? So can you give me some range and talk a little bit about the dollars and cents of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I think that's important. You know, obviously I have a fairly large range of franchises in my inventory to kind of feed any kind of appetite and um, people need to be anchored by reality. So, you know, I have them complete a questionnaire that's really going to help me see, are they in a position that they should even be thinking about purchasing a business today? because um, I don't want to set anybody up for failure. And so that's kind of a qualifying piece. But I have franchises that cost you know, 90000 all in. So when we talk about all in, what we're talking about is when you buy a franchise, you have a franchise fee, which is a one-time fee for the term of the franchise agreement. Terms range anywhere from 5, 7, 20 years. Okay? So it varies. But let's just say it's a 10-year term. So you pay your franchise fee and in 10 years, you're either going to renew it for a nominal fee or you're going to walk away, right? You're not going to repay a whole new franchise fee if you wanted to renew. So the franchise fee is a one-time fee. And then typically you have three months of working capital, right? Fixed and variable costs to get the business up and built and staffed and marketed and on its wheels, so it's not like, oh, this franchise is only going to cost me 90000 period. No, that's, that's like, you know, that's just to buy the rights to own the franchise brand in your desired geographic area and then to get it up and going for three months. So that's what we mean by all in. So I have, you know, 90000 all in all the way up to three and a half million. Now, if someone comes to me and they have a net worth of three fifty. Um, and they've got, you know, liquidity of 150. Great. That's, that's actually wonderful. But we would never want them to look at any business above their net worth. And often people don't understand why. But, you know, if you only have a net worth of 350000 which is not only, I mean, that's great, but you're not going to want to look at something that costs 500000 because that's going backwards. That's going the wrong direction. So... We really help people understand, you know, is this the right time for you financially? And sometimes I have to tell people, it's not the right time. Keep saving your money, try to find another job. But, and then, you know, and I've had people come back to me two years later. I saved that extra money. I'm ready to go, Carrie Ann. Mm. Great. Let's revisit your, you know, update your financials for me. Let's, let's get going. And we've had a huge success with that. But typically... And there's all kinds of variables. What is your credit score? What's your debt to income ratio? You know, all that's going to play into your funding plan. But no one just strikes a check for $250,000 for a franchise. Now, if they found a franchise for $250,000 that they loved and the franchisor said, we love you too, let's go into business together, you would pay, you know, your initial franchise fee and you would have funding to carry you for that buildup and beyond. So typically what happens is we tell people, worst case scenario, you need to have 30% of the all-in number. 
So if you fell in love with something that was 250, that's what $75,000 you would be coming to the table and then the Delta would be covered by some sort of debt service. So you're when you're into that. So let's dig into this a little bit and give people a real feel for what it takes to you know own a franchise. So let's say you're into that franchise. You you know you've bought the rights for two hundred and fifty thousand. That gives you the blueprint. That gives you the brand. That gives you the setup, uh, marketing. marketing, and all that. Now, when let's say it's a store, I don't care what the store is. It's a you know it's a fifteen hundred foot square foot footprint, and bam, it's a store. Okay, now who's is the franchise? Or covering the costs of setups. So in other words, are they taking that store, doing the mill work, putting in counters, putting in cash registers? That's going to be part of that 250. That's, that's, all, awesome. that's all part of that 250. Then yes. you would be responsible uh, for the op costs for at least, well, you would be responsible always, but you would want to be prepared to carry at least a 90 day op cost. So you have to have a budget for those op costs. Let's say your op costs are 25 grand a month. 20 grand a month, whatever the number is. And you you have to have that tucked away on the side as well until you get up and, and actually you're generating some cash and some cash flow. Having said that, is there some pre-launch stuff that goes on in terms of marketing? So I don't know, I'll name, let's say it's a juice, that's a juice shop, you know, it's a Jugo juice or whatever they are out there. And, and you open up, are they doing pre-marketing so that the day you open that store, it's like, Bam! You got money coming in. You got cash coming in. You've hired staff. Have they supported you in hiring hiring the staff at that point as well, or is that pretty much the left up to you? Good franchise companies do. Yes, the good franchisors do. They're going to help you. And so, with a store location, you know, you're going to buy the franchise rights, and then you're going to go into site selection, right? And then you're going to the franchisor. The good franchisors are going to help you with your lease negotiations. They're going to help you uh, with, they usually have their own architect firms that once, you know, you've negotiated with lease, then they're going to come in. They're also, national brands are able to get three months of free rent, tenant contributions, all kinds of really great stuff. Because these are national franchise companies. You go in there as, you know, you know, John's Juice. Nobody knows you, caveman style. You're not going to get any of those benefits. It's it's just not going to happen, right? So that's another huge benefit. You get benefits in buying power, purchasing power. Yeah, they'll send their whole team in. They'll do all that. They'll start the pre-marketing. Pre-marketing usually, you know, is set to happen, you know, three weeks or anywhere from three months in advance so that when you open your doors, you got a line of people waiting. If you got a fitness concept, you've got uh, a whole bunch of people that have already signed up, right? That's the idea. That's that's what they're going for. So then you get a home run, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's all that pre-marketing. That's all factored into that initial investment. So if somebody's looking at a franchise or thinking, "Gosh, I, you know, I wonder what I would. I wonder if a franchise would be right for me," and they're just even having that thought. What are some of the questions that they should be asking themselves? Like, what are some of the thoughts that they should be uh, going through, uh, you know, is it, what's your level of interest? What are you fired up about? I've learned over the years that I'm fired up about business. So if, if whatever the operation is, is even vaguely interesting to me, that's, that's almost secondary to just, I don't care what it is. It's selling popsicles. I want to get in there and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I want to build that, right. If I believe in the product, et cetera. Uh, but so from a, from somebody that's sitting listening to this and saying, I wonder if a franchise is for me, what are some of the questions that they might want to ask themselves, Carrie Ann? 
Well, again, you know, is the timing right? Can they afford a franchise? Maybe they want to have a brief conversation with me. When we take them through our consultation, we don't focus on the widget. You know, I'll say, well, how do you feel about the size of your staff? And sometimes people go, well, I don't know, Carrie Ann. I guess that depends on the business. What kind of business are we talking about? I'm like, who cares what the business is? We care about you. It's all about your wants, your needs, your desires, your dreams. What is that ideal picture that looks like? And people go, well, I have no idea. Well, then let's have a conversation about it. I'll be able to pull that information from you just by asking you specific questions. You know, what kind of characteristics do you love? Would you want to have with your business? You know, some people say, well, I looked at Chick-fil-A, right? Chick-fil-A is not a franchise, although it's misleading. They say they're a franchise. Well, why, why do you want, you know, a Chick-fil-A? Well, the line is always wrapped around the building. They must be printing money over there. Okay, well, so you want a business that, you know, has these kinds of characteristics. There's lots of businesses that have those same kinds of characteristics. So it's really, really changing the methodology of their thinking. Instead of focusing on an industry, a widget, or a service, or a product, focus inward. What would make you happy? What would make you proud? You know, people want to have a sense of pride of the type of business they own. Um, you know, some people say, you know, I've always been interested in, you know, eco-friendly businesses. I think it'd be really cool. Or I want, I want my business to provide a positive impact on my community. Great. There's lots of businesses that do that. Who cares right now what the widget or the product or service is? But we'll find some where you can compare and contrast them. And ideally, we're going to find some things you're going to get super excited about. So again, going back to that self-inventory, right? What would make you happy? Again, you know, your hobbies, your passions need to be on the side. Don't buy a golf shop because you love golf. Because I'm telling you right now, it's going to kill your passion. You're never going to want to golf ever again. (laughs) If you buy that golf shop, it just, it happens. You know what I mean? Be passionate about being able to be your own boss and be passionate about being able to serve your community and to build your own personal bank account and build an asset that you own that's yours. And instead of being passionate about what it is that, that the business does, right? I mean, obviously we have to stay ethical and we don't have anybody look at, you know, marijuana shops or anything like that, even though I'm in Colorado. (laughs) 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 Colorado, they're the leaders in that world. Oh boy. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's just, you know, think about, and I ask people what other, what other businesses have you looked at and why? Because we can learn a lot about what was initially attracted to them and then after they gain some knowledge, they go, oh yeah, no, I definitely don't want that, right? Like fast food, everyone thinks franchising equals French fries. And obviously we know, we've talked about all kinds of different businesses today. You know, it's hard for me to get excited about food, Patrick, unless I'm hungry. Yeah. Because when you look at it as a business, it is so expensive. The margins are pathetic. It's perishable inventory. It's bottom of the pool employee revolving door. And so when I ask people, is that really what you want? No, I don't want that. Okay, well, then you don't want fast food. You know, you might want 
you know, I love to surprise people. And I tell people, look, I am going to surprise you. It's going to be a good surprise, not a bad surprise. But I'm going to surprise you with the types of businesses I show you. I had a scientist. She was all about food. Give me food. Give me health-related stuff. Guess what she ended up buying? She ended up buying a commercial waste franchise. Mm. A commercial waste franchise that she she had never even heard of, never even knew existed. She fell in love with it. And I said, just keep an open mind. Promise me to give them two hours of your time. Not 20, but two hours. And she called me up and she said, Carrie Ann, I cannot believe how excited I am about this business. And she bought four territories. Wow. And she's keeping her scientist job because she makes great money, but she wanted to leave a legacy for her son. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up is that most people I think would consider, you know, they look at a franchise and they do, they think about the food industry primarily because they're on the main streets of everywhere, but there's all sorts of franchises that operate in the background that are in, you know, industrial backsites that you never even realize that they're a franchise, but they're definitely money makers and people are loving what they're doing and they have success in it and their margins are real. I mean, the food industry, you know, if, I think in general people, you think they know it, but they don't realize just how thin margins are in in that space. And as a retail owner for 35 years, you know, I can do two, three million dollars a year at the retail level. But by that time I get to my bottom line, I'm going, gosh, you know, why do I keep doing this? Right. <laughs> but there is, there is a, you know, but, <laughs> but as a business owner, I have to say that, you know, uh, in my case, you know, a couple of locations in Alberta and, and I've had them for 35 years. We, we it is part of a, a very specific community. So it is hard to just shut it down. It's not an easy business to sell because of the industry. And, you know, I keep chugging away at it. So it's, 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 it's almost a side hustle these days, but I love it. I got a great team of people in Edmonton that run it. And uh, so, Hey, listen, that's what that is, you know, in that, in that world, let's go back to the franchise thing, because, you know, I think, you know, for me, when I look at, you know, the context of the show, the everyday millionaire and, and seemingly ordinary achieving extraordinary and given what's going on economically, I, I do believe that this is something that people can stretch into given what they're doing right now. You know, the, there's one thing to be heavy lifting and working for yourself and building an asset, uh, or there's another thing to be worried about whether you're going to get, you know, a layoff notice, you know, at some time in the near future, given what's happening, happening economically in, in the overall business world. I mean, there's some big, big businesses that are, are challenged, are you know, shutting down, and will that be ongoing? I, I mean, I gosh, even you know, U.S. or Canada doesn't matter. I mean, right now GDP is being floated by our government. How sustainable is that in the long term? And I think that there's going to be a lot. I do believe that we're going to experience some pain going into 2021, probably starting by the end of this year. I know on the U.S. side of it, you guys are already uh, having some some big challenges economically and on the unemployment side of the things. So I think that whole concept of entrepreneur given, I don't know, we don't know, it's going to be an interesting world given the tax consequences and the ongoing funding. Where do they get taxed from? They're going to want you to start a business so that they can tax you. I don't know what they're going to do, but that's a a whole different conversation, isn't it? But let's talk about, you know, on the franchise side of it, you know, you look at the lady you just spoke with, the scientist that's, you know, all about food, all about food, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, this waste management 
opportunity presents itself and she goes, this is awesome. You know, her science brain kicks in and goes, that, that all makes sense. I can, this is cool. I can really sink my teeth into this, but what is the training, whether it's waste management or food or, or widgets? I mean, what is the training that one should expect in a franchise world? Because if you don't know anything about waste management, I mean, there's gotta be some pretty extensive training that would have to go into the operation and making that business run. Yeah, no, great point. And here's the thing. I think that's another myth alongside, you know, um, the money thing is that uh, contrary to what most people believe, you do not have to have any industry experience in the type of franchise you buy because you are partnering with the expert who is the franchisor that created the entire thing. So you will get trained on the industry you'll get trained on what you need to know. Her particular business is um, what the, it's, it's very environmentally friendly. It's reducing emissions. Her scientific brain went cuckoo nuts about that. Right? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and uh, so, and the numbers are just, I mean, knock your socks off. It's one employee. It's heavy equipment based non, you know, very low labor. And they basically reduce the commercial waste in the dumpsters through their proprietary equipment. And that's, I mean, so there's not, you don't have to know a lot about waste, right? Mm -hmm. You have to know there's the volume and, and we're never going to get rid of waste. In fact, we're probably going to just continue making more waste and so it's helping save those customers tr haul trips and uh, they can put more volume per dumpster. And the entire operation from one site to the next site to the next site is a total of 15 minutes. Wow. So, you know, there's not a lot that you got to learn about that, right? I mean, you got to understand the metrics of the business, the marketing, who you need to hire, but you know, even on that equipment, there's a camera and she can from her office and log on and see her employee operating that equipment without even having to be on site. So that's an interesting point that I think that we has to be made here, which is that when you're looking at and considering your franchise is the simplicity of the model. You know, is it simple? You know, the, the cool thing about a, good franchise is that all of that process, the systems, the policies, the marketing concept, the narrative, you know, all of those things are already in place because that can take years to develop that. And, and it's a lot of time and energy. I mean, cost of hard costs, you know, writing checks aside, there's the bandwidth, there's the energy expended, there's the team that you got to put behind it. There's a lot of, you know, so the, their franchises are definitely a very efficient way to go into business. But, you know, even in this conversation here, I'm really seeing that a lot of homework to be done and the importance of, of having, I, I don't want to call you a middleman, but you're a matchmaker. That's I'm kind of what's your job. Yeah. You know. Franchise consultant, franchise yeah. coach. I'm working on their behalf and making sure they're getting the information they need. So they're a prospective, educated buyer. So let's talk a little bit about Carrie Ann, because, you know, here you are today, you're a successful entrepreneur, you've got a background, you've figured shit out, you kind of gone on your journey, but let's talk a little bit about your background, because I'm always interested in 
how people got to where they are. You know, were your parents entrepreneurial? Tell me a little bit about you growing up. Like, how the hell did you get to here when you look back and say, what was my journey? So, you know, one of the questions, first off, tell me a little bit about your parents, your mom, your dad, were they entrepreneurial? Were you the odd kid in the family? What was, you know, what was special about it? Give me a little bit of that background, Carrie Ann. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my, both my parents were actually in education. Um, my mother was an English professor and she often taught, um, you know, Asians that came here and went to the colleges, she'd help them teach English. She'd bring them over to our house for dinner. My dad did not like that because he did not like having tofu for dinner, <laughs> but she was trying to make them feel at home. And so she'd have them over for dinner. And, and my father was a biology teacher. Um, they actually both taught at the same high school for years and years. My father was, um, full-blooded Italian, um, very little patience, very loud, very loving. And so I think that's where I got a lot of my feistiness from was from my father. And, um, but, you know, I would say if when I look back, my dad would, he'd get suckered into those, you know, selling the, um, I don't know, like the whitening toothpaste. And, <laughs> sure. I mean, all those crazy, you know, Melaleuca products. He got involved in that at one time as a side thing. He and his buddies um, started a pheasant farm and in Kansas. And um, he, he was an amazing cook. And so he cooked for all the hunters. And, you know, he took me out hunting. Yeah, I think he realized... I, I'm, I'm very opposite of my sister. I only have one sibling and my sister, I love her to death, but she's just, you know, she, she just, she just who she is. She just plain, this is what you get. And I've always been a girly girl. And so um, we're really night and day different, but, um, and we're about three, three and a half years apart. And so he'd take us hunting and, you know, my sister's out there with the guns and then he looks at me and, and I've got the birds and I'm like having them on my knee talking to each other as their necks are flopping around. <laughs> and it's just like, what is up with this? Right. So I don't know. It's just, so my, I would say that my mother, uh, then when we were in school, grade school, she actually took um, the real estate license and she sold real estate. And she was an amazing, amazing realtor. She was a residential real estate agent for uh, 40 some years. She was amazing. She had people buy sometimes three houses through her. It was just pretty crazy. My dad wasn't happy about that either because she was always gone on the weekends and evenings doing open houses. <laughs> and so she was always working. My sister was, um, you know, again, very opposite of me. She went to college. She did all the things you were supposed to do. And, and they always used to say, Carrie Ann, why can't you be a little more like your sister? And it's like, because I'm not her, right? Like, I don't know. But, you know, we, we had a, an amazing family, a, you know, big Italian family and just great memories. But no one was really super entrepreneur, I would say. Um, I think what really happened was, you know, I went to that family friend's dinner um, at my sister's house and, you know, we were drinking some fine wine and eating some great food and talking about what we wanted to do when we grew up. And I had just recently, you know, had the streaming media job taken away because, you know, well, the CEO slept with someone that was not 
not who it should have been sleeping with and all kinds of weird stuff happens. So, so there was no more business. So, you know, basically I, um, and we probably should not have that in there, you know, on the, on the final recording, but I was tired of not having any control. And I came from a sales and marketing background. And so we, my brother-in-law actually was like, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a swamp cooling repair and fix it business. And we were all like, okay, you've had, you're cut off. You've had too much wine. <laughs> what are you talking about? And those of you that don't know what a swamp cooler is considered poor man's air conditioning unit, the house that they lived in at that time had a swamp cooler. My brother-in-law at that time was, had just gotten let go at a uh, restaurant downtown Denver that had, I think, like six swamp coolers. He was always tinkering around, repairing and fixing. And he's like, no, really. And I'm going to call myself Swamp Boy. And literally had my sister make embroidery a Swamp Boy patch on a shirt. And we put an ad in the paper, call Swamp Boy for your Swamp Cooler Repair and fix it, And literally Monday, the phone started ringing. Now, this was back in the late 90s. <laughs> and uh, we were like, wow, this is crazy, right? And we just started sending Andy off to all these appointments. And he's very uh, charismatic individual. People really love him. He was in his little Swamp Boy uniform. And he'd show up on time. And he was neatly dressed. I mean, he looks like the boy next door. And... Um, he came back to the basement almost every afternoon and was like, I don't know what's going on, but nobody wants me to leave. Like, they're like, oh, while you're here, can you fix this? And can you do this? And can you do that? And so that kept happening. We hired more craftsmen. We had, we had a bathroom in the basement because that encompassed carpentry, drywall, plumbing, and electrical, right? And so we would break something in the bathroom and we, that would be one of the tests for the craftsmen. Go fix what's broken in the bathroom right? See if they could fix it. We also did background checks, lost a lot of guys from that, but, you know, and so, and they lived in a cul-de-sac and the, the craftsmen were coming and going and we were sending out all the orders and the neighbors started complaining because of all of the commotion and what's sure. going on over there, right? So sheriff came knocking, good problem to have and said, your business is too big. You got to take it out of your home. So we went and found a space an industrial part of town, you know, literally where you roll the garage door up and down at the beginning of the day, nothing fancy. And we're like, okay, this is our new home. And so we kept hiring more people and expanding. And some of the bartenders that had worked with my brother-in-law at the restaurant, they were like, hey, what are you doing over there? We're getting really burnt out, you know, working at the restaurant. And so we started carving little different territories out in Colorado, Boulder and South Denver. And we were like, okay, here's all the things that we do. Go hire a bunch of craftsmen and just start servicing your customers. And that's what we did in marketing. When you have any questions, give us a call. And that's really, I mean, it just grew and grew and grew. And then somebody came to us and said, you guys should think about franchising your business. We were like, really? Well, what's that all about? So we learned about franchising and we decided, yeah, we're going to do it. So we franchised our business the latter part of 2001 and um, actually had franchisees in Ireland that contacted us and bought the rights to the UK. 
and um, had a great time. And then last September, um, Ace Hardware decided to acquire us. So the acquisition with Ace Hardware was last September. So now it's Ace Handyman Services, uh, and it used to be Handyman Matters. Love that story. That's brilliant because that really is the, uh, it really is a cool story of, you know, the entrepreneurial accident. Yeah. And, uh, and then you took it, leveraged it, got your brain firing in that direction, and then were able to exit it. And, and I'm sure in a profitable way, I mean, that's a pretty awesome story coming from, you know, the background that you came from. And, and I'm sure that, you know, it was three kind of fired up people or you're, it was yeah, kicking ideas around. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was crazy. And nobody really cared if we were successful back in, back in the basement days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If we were successful, our lawyers didn't care. Our bank didn't care. I mean, you know, it was just crazy, but um, it was a wild and roller coaster ride. And, and what I, you know, going into business with family is so challenging. I mean, it's like, Oh, you know, the lines get blurred. You're sitting there at Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, you're passing the prime rib and, you know, there's daggers being thrown across the table just because the business, the business bleeds into everything. And so I decided I was craving something that was mine, that something I could call all mine, that nobody else had a part of. And um, it was all really from being involved in the franchise. And I said, you know, people need guided. People need help. People need help being matched with franchises so they get good success. And so that's why I started doing what I did. Wow. So, that's a, you know, those are really common. I don't know that they're common, but they're those stories, they're, yeah, they're, they're a pretty common story for entrepreneurs in general. You know, like it, so often that's exactly what happens. I mean, there's the other side of that which is they're not successful to the degree they are, but nobody has any regrets. Like it goes back to what you just said. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of young and, and, and vibrant and excited and, you know, you, don't, you have no idea if it's going to work out, but you're just so driven by uh, the fun of doing what you're doing. It, it actually becomes, you know, sometimes the money-making part of it becomes secondary for quite some time until you really get at it. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting time. I remember those days myself. Uh, very well. So it brings back some cool memories. Carrie Ann, time's really flown by here for me because this is such an interesting, for me, being entrepreneurial business, uh, supporting entrepreneurs and being successful, it's, you know, I, I can talk about it all day, but we got to kind of start to wind things down a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and I'm sure you've got things yes, on. I do. I know. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> How did time go by so fast? Okay. But we got some rapid fire questions. I always wind up my show with a couple of rapid fire questions. You got, you ready? Yep. Okay. You got this. So what is a book? What's your favorite book or what is a book that you gift? Is there an impactful book for you? Oh, let me look at my bookcase. Um, Let's see. The my most favorite book to give is The Entrepreneurial Roller Coaster. Mm. And by David, I can't think of his name right off the top. Hardy. Have you ever heard of him? No, Dan I haven't. Hardy. You know what? Um, I know I have a copy of it laying around here. I used to give that hand that out. It is a is amazing, amazing book. You know what? That's cool. I, I want to make a note of that. The other book that I think for entrepreneurs is 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 almost a bible. Is uh, the E Myth or the E Myth Revisited? Yes, E Myth Revisited. Michael E Gerber. Yeah, yeah. Him. He's so so good. Favorite inspirational quote? 
Uh, perfection is the enemy to profitability. Uh, I love that. That's really good. Well, that's not mine, but yeah. I know, yeah. but it's a good one. It is. A, it's a great one. Do you yeah. have a favorite tune? Um, I would say, Jane, you caught me off guard with that. Um, oh, well, it would have to be my song. And I think it was the Hollies that sang, Hey, Carrie Ann. Oh, there you go. Anybody play. Yeah, that is that is your song. That's great. <laughs> do you have a do you have a favorite movie? Favorite movie would be I don't you know my favorite movie has always been E. T. Oh, there you go. Beautiful. Yeah, that's kind I of know. A, that's a feel yeah. that's a feel good movie. It's a feel good movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Favorite swear word? Oh, I can't say it. It's oh, bad. Really? How bad can it be? Really? I okay. Mean, you know, my husband tells me all the time. Do you catch your mother with that mouth? I mean, I I cuss like a sailor. You do. Well, oh, you know, it's, 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 it's not surprising because you're the pretty girl. <laughs> you're the pretty girl that you know has a twelve gauge pump in her, you know, in her hand on every good. So it it would it would make sense that sometimes yeah. it comes out that yeah. way. So that's... Oh, it comes out all the time. I'm telling you, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> what are you grateful for today, Carrie Ann? I am grateful for my health. Mm. You know, we learn those lessons, don't we? That uh, without health, wealth matters less. Oh my gosh, nothing matters. Uh, health and family, really. Sure. Uh, but yeah, especially now, I'm I'm very thankful that I've always been very physically fit. So yeah, well, I would have to say that today that that you brought it up. I also am grateful for my health and I'm also grateful for the opportunity to meet you, to uh, have you join me on the show. And uh, I want to, I want to say thanks very much. Great conversation, great insights around franchises and being an entrepreneur. Loved the conversation. So thank you very much for your time, Carrie Ann. Awesome. My pleasure. I loved it as well. Have a ridiculously awesome rest of your Friday. I will. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.